birds are so loud right now. Well, and my dogs are being, they're very antsy this morning, so that has not been fun. But. You're listening to Don't Read the Synopsis, a bookish podcast where we read and talk about all things books, except the synopses. I'm Zach. And I'm Devin. We are bookish besties, mood readers with a cursed buddy reads and a love of romance. What's up? Hello. It's forever since I've talked to you, I feel like. It's been two weeks since we've recorded. Yeah. Yeah. Good thing we have a, had that buffer at the beginning because we knew some life things were bound to happen at some point. It's true. It's true. Makes for a tight uh, editing window, but that's all right. Yeah, that's, that is true. As long as no big disasters happen, it should be okay. Well, now that we speak of them. <laughs> It'll be all right. We ready to talk about our latest reads? Sure. I've actually been flying through books recently, despite being really busy. I've found a lot of small times during the day to read, and I've learned that small times really add up, and I'm finishing books pretty quick because of those small times. So the first book I want to tell you guys about today is called Vera Wong's Unsolicited Advice for Murderers by Jesse Q. Satano. Satano. So I actually looked up the pronunciation of that, but I I would encourage you all to do the same because we know that I'm not the greatest with that. All right, so the first latest read coming to you today is Vera Wong's Unsolicited Advice for Murderers. First and foremost, I need to say thank you to Pingham Random House Audio for providing me with an early audio book for review. This story is an absolute smash. Vera Wong's character may easily end up being my favorite main character of 2023 and maybe of all time. I'm honestly not sure how a better main character can be made. The setup for the story is Vera Wong is a lonely older lady who has a tea shop she runs on the main level of her home building is kind of the best way to describe it. If you think about like um, shops that people live above, that's sort of what Vera is doing here. So basically she lives above the tea shop and that does come into play a lot in the story. Vera wakes up at the same time every day, goes about her morning routine the exact same every single day. What she struggles to admit is since coming to the U.S., her tea shop has gotten the bit, has not gotten the business that it used to until one day she discovers a dead body laying in the middle of the floor. So before she moved to the U.S., her tea shop was called the world famous tea shop, and she continues the Vera Wong's world famous tea shop um, into the, the current story, but she only gets about two customers a year right now. The story really takes off from there. We meet a cast of very developed characters who we truly come to know and love. Vera suspects it's one of these characters and the whole time you were just hoping it's not. You get full backstories about them and truly come to love and understand them. They are all connected to the dead body in different ways, leading you to suspect them at least once throughout the novel. This is probably the most wholesome story I have ever read. I would say maybe TJ Klune's books rival it, but this is like a, a murder mystery version of that. Uh, I've never laughed out loud like I did with this one. <laughs> There are moments I was in tears, I was laughing so hard, and I listened to this on my drive to work, so it was a good way to get in the mood for the day. Where there are so many funny moments, the story has a lot of unexpected heart. This will hands down be in my top books of the year, and I very much think Vera could be my favorite character of all time. I can't wait to get to the author's backlist, because clearly her humor is for me. For the blind date for the book, I would say Helicopter Mothers with Good Hearts. It's a whodunit, a laugh until you cry, the BuzzFeed, the TikTok, and found family. And uh, well, I say the BuzzFeed and the TikTok because, you know, there's that joke that 
older generations called them the thing and the, you don't need the the and Vera does that all the time like she gets really excited that one of the characters um and you you learn early on this is not a spoiler is lying about reporting for BuzzFeed. And she says that he reports for the BuzzFeed. I would recommend this on audio. The audio is exceptional. Uh, and uh, the the physical copy, I do want to get at some point because I really love the cover of it. But yeah, I gave it five easy stars. And uh, Vera is a wonderful character to read about. I'm so glad that you liked it because this was one of my looking forward to reads. I can't remember which episode maybe the first episode I really do want to read it and I read the previous books dial a for aunties and then four aunties in a wedding and I liked both of those somewhat I think the focus the hijinks kind of around the crime were the best parts of those other books and that found family atmosphere. So I think she does that really well. So I'm excited for this because I think it's a start to a new series. I think that there will, will be more books just from what I read and understand about it. I will be picking those up immediately Vera Wong's other books in the series. And I do plan to read those other two surrounding the weddings. If you liked the humor, there's something about that kind of comedy that is a little ridiculous and, and it's very over the top in Dial A for aunties and for aunties in a wedding. There were parts I couldn't breathe. I was laughing so hard. Like I couldn't, I couldn't, I was driving and I could not breathe. I feel like I had tears in my eyes. I was laughing so hard. I feel like I couldn't see the road. Like, and not, and let me say like, it, not everybody is going to feel that way. Like it just, it was my kind of humor, which is definitely not for everybody. I'm a dad joke kind of guy. So if you don't like dad jokes, this humor might not be for you. I'm going to talk about a book that is called Something's Different uh, by Quinn Ivins. And this is published by Yiva Publishing, which I found out in doing a little bit of research is a woman-owned independent publishing house that publishes queer positive books with strong female characters. And that is certainly true of this particular book. This is a November 2022 release I don't remember how I stumbled across it, except that I was struck by the cover because there are two hands that are holding iced coffees and each hand has painted nails. You can see as they hold the coffees in front of a campus green and there's a sort of academic looking building in the background. I didn't know very much at all about going into this book. I've not heard anybody talk about it. I think some words popped out at me when I was looking at the cover and I knew that it was sapphic and it was about a twin switch and had a campus setting. I will say that I had some hesitation about this going into it because I typically don't like romance plots where there's a lot of deception. And I knew that one of our main characters, Caitlin, is impersonating her twin sister at her sister Chloe's job, which is an assistant to a president of the university. And it's a female president of the university. So that was exciting. And she does this so that Chloe can go visit her boyfriend in Colorado, which sounds silly a little bit, but there's some things that we learn where it kind of all makes sense. And Caitlin has a PhD in sociology, but she was unable to get a tenure track teaching job after graduation. 
So she's really reeling from that and is kind of having a bit of an identity crisis. So she's moved home to try to figure out what her next steps will be. And she ends up getting pressured by her mom and her sister to participate in this scheme and eventually gives in. So she's thrown into this job as an assistant and she has to figure out things kind of on her feet. And I really enjoyed those aspects of the sort of fish out of water type thing, even though she's really comfortable in the academic setting, the fact that she has to know who it is that her sister is familiar with and not familiar with and the different kind of parts of the job. Those were fun pieces. She ends up impacting a lot of people that are in the office and in the administrative environment because she's helping the president, Ruth, tried to win over the faculty on these new initiatives. She lets something slip in a meeting and all of a sudden she's helping Ruth with these figures. And it's, it's just really interesting how their dynamic starts to play out. She ends up discovering a lot about herself and her own talents in the process, but there's also this growing attraction that's happening between Ruth and Caitlin. And it's getting more and more difficult for Caitlin to lie about who she is and to deceive Ruth and everyone else, but she's now terrified of getting in trouble, getting her sister in trouble. And she's also struggling with the attraction that she feels to Ruth because of the power dynamics between them. There's a lot, a lot to like about this. I think the writing is very good. The characters are rich and complex and there's a lot of internal struggles that we get to appreciate. There's dual POV, which really works here. I tried to find out if the author has ties to academia because there's so much about the hierarchical nature of roles and expectations and the inner workings of administrative offices on a college campus that hit really close to home. And so I felt that she must have done some pretty detailed research. There are things that unless you're part of a campus or academic community that you probably wouldn't pick up on. I think a typical reader would probably not pick up on them, but because that is my home turf of my job, it felt so accurate. One thing that is kind of weird about this is that as accurate as I think that part is, because we are so close to the administrative side of things, the campus atmosphere and like campus vibe isn't really as present as you would, might imagine it to be. When more characters are together in scenes like various meetings or lecture series, you do get more of that campus atmosphere. But I wish I'd had some more of those kinds of interactions. Also, the novel isn't really trying to do that. So I think I just kind of have to set that aside a little bit. I gave this book four stars and I had to overcome the entire plot device. So that should tell you how enjoyable this book is. If I were to give it a blind date with a book description, I would say it's a romance set in campus administration with a lot of heart. There are discussions of academic roles. There are things about finding yourself here. There's a twin swap and there's a focus on empowering others. And again, this is Something's Different by Quinn Ivins. This reminds me of a better and queer version of a book that I hated that most people loved 
uh, Christmas season 2021, The Holiday Swap by Maggie Knox. That is also a twin switch situation. And I wonder now if I were to read that in the future, if I would like it more than I did then. But I despised that book when I read it for some reason. I don't I can't really tell you what that is about now. I haven't read that because of the that part of the entering into these romantic relationships in really deceptive ways. You hate that. That fits into other tropes too, or that is a trope. And it's not always about the identity somehow. Like I'm reading The Bride mm-hmm. Test. Yeah. And there's a little bit where she's not completely honest with him. There is something that she's hiding but that's not the same thing. I like, I think for me, it's about the, I don't know. There's something about the intentions, like in those twin swap type books or other kinds of hidden identity type books, you're consciously working to deceive the person. Whereas if you just have hidden, I don't know, I guess maybe it's a semantics thing because I understand that the, the keeping a secret or keeping a component of a secret is not the same thing to me as entering into this in a completely deceptive way. I think there's a lot more to get over. And I will say that the book, Something's Different, it really does handle the deception in an appropriate way. I think everyone has appropriate reactions you know that it's going to be discovered in some way. You know that this can't, this is the other thing about these. It's like, you know that it can't end well because you know that it can't be sustained forever. They can't be swapped forever. I guess it's interesting because you know that that's going to be the conflict because how can anything else be the conflict? Yeah, and then also like kind of like you were saying, there are decisions that will have to be made at the end of the novel I'm yeah, but I really you. liked it. I, I I really liked it. I think that if I hadn't, I I know that some people think that the that the premise, the twin swapping thing, is just kind of like silly and it's fun. And I think that you can see the really serious implications in this particular book. And the more I've thought about it, the more I feel like my rating should be closer to four and a half. But just because I feel like I had to overcome parts of that plot which is a me thing and not a thing about the book at all, but I really liked it. Okay. So we're only talking about one book each in our latest read section, because we're going to talk so much about other books in our discussion of mixed up media and metafiction. We were talking about this because we're interested in books that move beyond what text or novels in particular can be. So these are books that include other forms of media. And here we're focusing on podcasts or books within books. We are really kind of separating this discussion from other kinds of books with mixed media, like photos, letters, text, transcripts, maps. There's a lot of books that have that kind of media in it. But we wanted to zoom in a little bit because otherwise we'd be giving you a three-hour lecture because we both, I think, love storytelling that's mixed up with other stuff and could talk for a very long time about it. So in focusing specifically on how podcasts and books inside of books are used, we're looking at what we called mixed up media to kind of try to differentiate it a little bit. And also metafiction, which is what the books within books are usually called uh, in literary terms. 
when I think about the categorization of this, I think a lot about narrative structure and how the inclusion of podcasts and also books inside of a novel can alter the structure of storytelling, whereas sometimes other mixed media can act as just additional materials and that's adding to or enriching the narrative and sometimes it disrupts the narrative. So books like House of Leaves by Mark Danieluski and The Paul Bearers Club by Paul Tremblay, the inclusion of additional materials in both of those books start to make the reader question the reliability of the very story that they're reading. And I think one of the books that I'm going to talk about with podcasts do that kind of thing where it's disruptive uh, of the narrative, where you think you're kind of getting one story but then it calls everything to question. I'm not sure it's because of the podcast though, but I'll talk about that in just a second. Uh, There's so much to play with though structurally once authors start involving other media. And it's always impressive to me how they accomplish this, how they pull off stories with all of these threads and all of this different media. And again, we could talk about a lot of books with a wide range of media mixed in. There's something really intriguing, at least to us, about stories with podcasts. Maybe that's because I've been listening to podcasts for a very long time. Maybe it's because we started making our own podcasts. But I think that even though podcasts have been around for a long time, I do feel like they're only recently becoming part of the storytelling structure in fiction. And we thought it would be interesting to to read and talk about a couple of books that include podcast elements. I wanted to start off with the book I actually read for this week's episode. I think both Devin and I each read at least one book for this episode. And that is A Thousand Miles by Bridget Morrissey. I listened to this on audio, though I do also have a physical copy because duh. And once again, I need to thank Ping of Random House Audio for providing me with an audio copy of this book. I am pleased to say this was a delight. I am slowly finding my groove in romance novels, and it tends to lean into romantic comedies with awkward situations, a lot of past slash history, and basically it's rom-coms with some romantic plus elements, plus being a bigger topic for discussion. Our main character, Dee, started a podcast with her best friend, and together they make up the show, Did I Forget to Tell You? The whole purpose of the show is for her to interview friends, family, and past lovers about their lives and love. There's a character that is spoken about on the show, only known as Name Redacted. This person is Ben, who during their senior year, spring break, Dee and Ben took a road trip to visit Ben's grandma. They buried a time capsule in her backyard, pledging to return to it 10 years later to open it. Then their friendship fell apart, and a in spectacular fashion. They haven't spoken to each other since, until on the very day they were supposed to embark on this trip, Ben shows up at Dee's front door. This is a story about finding love, keeping promises, building truly unbreakable bonds, and apologizing for mistakes made in the past. I truly love both of these main characters, and I love a good road trip story. It always comes with fun shenanigans. I also wanted to touch on the audiobook uh, because it actually has the podcast sounds, which you will see as a theme in this episode or lack thereof. In A Thousand Miles, when the podcast is written in the book and therefore read in the audio, they actually have an intro and outro music and everything just like a podcast would. Absolutely love that aspect. You will enjoy this if you enjoy lovers to enemies to friends. Okay, hold on. Let's take this one step at a time because it's very important. Let's say mild lovers interested to enemies, back to friends, and back to lovers. Forced proximity, uh, 
in-depth, realistic conversations, and it's slightly open door. I would say the steam level is door cracked with one red hot chili pepper out of five. I just all around really, really love this book. This author has another book coming out this year. It's actually a sapphic novel. I love the way that she tells stories um, and brings main characters together. She definitely hones in on that romance plus with the romantic comedy, which is exactly my groove. Um, so yeah, I would recommend this. And if you can get it on audio, it really, really adds the immersion when you hear the intro and outro um, of the, the podcast. You actually feel like you're listening to a podcast, which I think really, really adds to the story. So that was A Thousand Miles by Bridget Morrissey. That's interesting because I think that it may stand out on our list of not being about a crime. Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. Because I think the biggest podcast out there, either political or true crime, like in the world, not in, in uh, media, but. No, just in general, you mean like own topics? Yeah, I think it's true crime and political. Probably yeah, but I podcast. also think, I think because of that, a lot of the books that are on our list to talk about and the one, the one I'm going to talk about that I read for this episode has those true crime elements or it's a mystery or it's a thriller and it uses the true crime type podcast to forward the action of the novel. And yeah. in, and in what you, uh, in, in that book, A Thousand Miles, that, it, that it's a romance is really interesting. Have you read A Thousand Miles 7? No. I think you would like it. I think I would want, definitely want to do it on audio though. Yeah. I think if you can get an audio, you would like it. Yeah. The only other book that I can think about was the X Talk, but that's about a radio show. And it's I don't need to read that. Radio. It's really more radio kind of focused. Although I think they kind of develop the show into a podcast, which happens a lot because they just record the show and then put it out as a podcast. But I mean, I read that physically, so I don't know what the audio elements of that are, but it, that's a little bit different. The rest of the, when it's, you're really talking about podcast elements, it seems to be a little bit of focused uh, in, in true crime uh, I do want to just quickly point out that we are concentrating on fiction books. There are a lot of books that are based on podcasts in nonfiction, or they were podcasts first, or they were books and then turned into podcasts. Uh, but we're exploring specifically how podcasts are used in fictional narratives. And I think, as I was saying, it's not surprising that with the acceleration of podcasts in our public consciousness, particularly true crime, that a lot of mystery thrillers have taken up podcasts in their narratives. So I'm going to talk about a YA a book called I Hope You're Listening by Tom Ryan that I read specifically for this episode. This is a YA mystery. I listened and read this kind of together uh, via Hoopla and my library. So this main character is also named Dee and she survived an abduction that led to her friend Sibby's kidnapping when they were seven years old. Now in high school, Dee runs a podcast called Radio Silent where she calls attention to other missing person cases. Her listeners contribute information to message boards and have even helped to solve some of the cases. 
I like that we learn about several cases that Dee is working on and you do see a lot of her as a podcaster. She's trying to keep her identity as the podcast host, which is known as the seeker, a secret. So she disguises her voice, has her friend Burke encrypt and hide her IP address and is constantly worried that someone is going to find out that she's behind the podcast. And she doesn't want that because she doesn't want the attention on her because of what happened with Sibby. And she'd rather the victims that she is trying to help and their families that she is trying to help get the attention. And so she's afraid if people know that it's her, that that will draw attention to her and back to the case of Sibby and kind of pull up all of this trauma again. But when another girl, Layla, from the neighborhood goes missing, all of this past is dragged up once again, whether Dee likes it or not. And she herself becomes at the center of this other girl's missing case. Dee also has a new neighbor, Sarah, who Dee has a crush on. And the relationship with Sarah helps Dee open up a little bit more. What I did like about this is that Dee didn't have to come out and it wasn't hidden or weird. She just had this crush on Sarah and it was just, you know, okay from the beginning. The dad in this is probably one of my favorite characters, which I think maybe says something about how my attention and identification in YA is that it's with the parents or the people in the novel that are the age that I am or even maybe younger. I think the dad is probably younger than I am, but he's a stay-at-home dad. And I thought that that was some cool representation there and that he is a really genuine, sweet character. Both of the parents actually are really attentive and present. So I did appreciate that because in a lot of YA novels, you get these very kind of absent parents. There's a scene I particularly liked where Dee is complaining about her parents And her friend Burke says, oh, no, what happened? And she said, they want me to talk about my feelings. And I thought that that was really this sort of fun moment. The podcast is definitely a significant part of the plot here. We get transcripts and excerpts in both the audio and print. We don't hear the hidden disguised voice or anything. So we don't hear the podcast like these listeners would hear it. But we do hear her talk about the case and you see her how she puts some of the audio together. I actually really liked hearing about the cases that she's covering and working on. But y'all, this is almost 400 pages and about nine hours on audio. And I found it tough to get back into once I stopped reading it. If I was listening, I could listen to it for an hour at a time or read it. But if I put it down, there were there wasn't really too much pulling me back to the story, which is kind of weird considering it's about these missing persons cases. And I typically generally love that. There are many different threads here of the different mysteries, but the character development left me wanting more. We're in Dee's point of view, but I felt so disconnected and distant from her And I don't know if that's me, again, not as a YA audience, like I'm I'm not that target audience. I also wish that her friend Burke, their relationship gets strained and I wish that there was more 
space for that in the book because he was also Sibby's friend and was impacted by it. There are things that happen in present day where you see how he has been affected by the past. And that's kind of moved through at a clip where there are parts of the story that developed so slowly. I don't know. The pacing just felt a bit weird to me. And I really would have liked Burgundy's relationship to take a little bit more center stage rather than the romance. I just think there's a lot that could have been done with his character. The romance also develops fast. And I get this that this is a YA mystery and the romance is kind of a bonus and that the romantic part is where we really get to see Dee be open about what has happened. But if you're going to have a queer romance, can you not have it be kind of insta-love and talking about being girlfriends after like knowing each other 48 hours? Like it's just, it was a bit fast. I think there's a lot of time that's spent building the mysteries of what happened to Sibby and what happened to Layla. But for me, I found the solutions really lackluster. There are no clues that would help the reader figure out what has happened. I don't need to always solve it, but I hate when it feels a little bit out of nowhere and then it's suddenly wrapped up and we move on. I did really like the podcast element and I wish there'd been a little bit more production of it with like music, as you talked about, Zach, in the book you read. While we are listening to the production of the podcast, for me, when you have an audiobook, there's a missing component if you don't really get to fully hear it. Anyway, to me, this is three stars with the caveat that I'm not the target audience for this. My 12-year-old self probably would have loved this book, but as an adult, it, it had some holes in places and other things that I really didn't fully enjoy. But I do think the podcast elements were strong. And again, they are very much a central part of the narrative and a lot of Dee's motivation. And again, trying to keep it a secret that she's the host. Those were really interesting elements and created quite a bit of tension. And that is, I hope you're listening by Tom Ryan. I think I own this book. I think I got it on sale on Kindle one day. And so I might get around to it at some time. If not, I think it's on script, at least in the US. Because I was the one who told you about this book. Um, yeah. But I, ha- I hadn't read it yet. And I'm glad it was at least decent. I think you're right, though. I could imagine your 12-year-old self would have devoured it. All right. So the next book I'm going to talk about is if you have ever listened to the real life podcast serial and enjoyed it, you will love this next one. A Good Girl's Guide to Murder by Holly Jackson. This is the story of Pippa, who is doing her senior capstone project on the case of Sao Singh, who was accused of murdering his girlfriend. As I began to explain what this book is about, I went to Goodreads to see what they say, and it's only a few sentences long. It's probably the shortest description of a book I've ever seen on Goodreads. I think this is because it's a YA mystery slash thriller, so they don't want to give anything away. Here's a small excerpt from the book that will give you a little bit of the vibe. Welcome to A Good Girl's Guide to Murder, a true crime podcast created by me, Pippa Fitzamobi, with the help of Ravi Singh. Join me as I take you through the 2012 murder of a squirrel girl, Andy Bell, in Little Kilton, my hometown. So that's kind of like an excerpt from the book that kind of, I think, does a good job of describing what it's about. Just like the previous book I talked about, 
this audio has podcast sounds. You can even hear if she is recording on a windy day or if it's outside. They make the sounds for that as well. The audio is how I read this, and I 100% recommend you intake it that way. The podcast elements they add into the story really make you immersed, and I feel like you get a whole different experience out of the story than if you were to read it with your eyeballs. In fact, I did try to do that and didn't make it very far. I am sure you've heard already, but this story will take you on so many twists and turns, but I loved every single moment of it. That was shocking for me because I didn't expect to love it as much as I did. I tried reading it physically, but couldn't get into it and switched the audio and bam. There are two more full books in the series and a novella releasing later this year. I do plan to finish the series and I can't wait to hear what Crimes Pippa solves next. I gave this one an easy five stars. I do want to note that part of my, this is a very hyped, very popular, this is probably one of the most popular YA um, contemporary books. And typically I don't enjoy those. And admittedly, I think part of the reason I loved this one so much is because I truly was obsessed with the podcast serial to the point that I and two of my friends drew like look like looked up the map of where serial took place and all the times and the cell phone pingings and all the evidence and like actually made our own murder board together. So I think my love of serial really did play into my love of a good girl's guide to murder. Uh, but yeah, I can't wait to continue the series. And if you're looking for a good podcast with sounds and immersion and kind of what we were talking about with like a thriller mystery case, then I definitely recommend it. I also really loved Serial. I think most people who listened to it were struck right away by it and were intrigued and kept listening and listening and listening to try to figure figure it out. I think Serial was an amazing podcast and it busted open the podcasting 2.0. I think surge of podcasts being developed this sounds good. And a lot of people have said that I should read this, but I'll just have to add it to the very super duper long list of books. I don't think that it would change your life in any way. Yeah. They're not long either. I've looked so on a drive, it could be just the thing. The next time I have to drive to visit my brother, maybe. I want to talk about another mystery slash thriller, I guess. Uh, So this is If I Disappear by Eliza Jane Brazier and was published in January 2021 by Berkeley. I read this as an ebook from the library for a book club I was in. And I was really excited about it because it's about true crime podcasts. The main character, Sarah, is a huge fan of a lot of different true crime podcasts. They provided her comfort because she's going through a really difficult time in her life. And her favorite podcast, I can't remember the name of it, but she becomes convinced that her favorite host has gone missing. So she ends up going to Rachel's hometown. Rachel, in this case, is the, or is the podcast host. So she goes to the host's hometown to begin investigating what might have happened. But she can't just go in there and say that she's this listener. And so she has to kind of talk her way onto working at this ranch that Rachel's parents have. It's definitely bizarre. And I think we're supposed to understand it as bizarre, but she's trying to figure out what might have happened to this podcast host. And then Sarah realizes that Rachel might not have been the first girl to go missing from this town and begins to dig deeper into both of these mysteries, which becomes very dangerous for her. 
everything about this sounds so good. And a lot of it is in both the ebook and in the audio, the podcast is filtered through the female narrator, Sarah. I think your enjoyment may depend on how much you identify with or like Sarah. She's certainly a unreliable narrator. This is the book that I was talking about where the podcast almost feels disruptive in these ways, as much as it's used as a framing device. There are clues in the podcast, so it's kind of used as these weird clues, but different excerpts of the podcast episodes frame each chapter. What's interesting is that it's not linear, so we're not hearing episode one, two, three, because Sarah is moving around the different episodes and pulling out things that the host has said. And in that way, we really get the narrative kind of hinging around the podcast. We jump from episode to episode in no clear order besides Sarah's thinking. The content of these episodes that Sarah jumps around in feel a lot like clues. And at the very least, they're clues to what Sarah is thinking and what her mentality is. As we get to learn more about her life and the secrets that she might be hiding, we also wonder if she is just looking too deeply into this and maybe that this podcast host is not really missing. There's a lot of unreliability there. We do get the episodes in a slightly affected voice, like a reading voice on the audio. And I researched this purposely. So I downloaded this audiobook from the library and re-listened to parts of it. But it's not so different that it feels like two different women's voices. So it still kind of feels filtered through Sarah. And that may be purposeful. Again, there's a lot that we don't really know as the narrative goes on. In the text, when you're reading it as electronically or physically, the chapter titles are titles of the episode and the podcast excerpt is in italics. There's commentary of Sarah sort of in between some of this. Ultimately, the story starts to go off the rails and it's not in a good way. I ended up giving it three stars, but that was due to my enjoyment of about half of the book, which might be generous considering how much I despised and everyone who talked about it at book club despised the ending. No one liked this book. No one liked, gave it more than three stars. I do know that other people have enjoyed it. Take my rating for whatever you want as usual. I do think that there is an innovative use of the podcast, though, as a frame and clues. And it's not that we're just hearing this podcast. There's something else kind of going on with it. And I, I do think that that is interesting and different. But this was so much not for me that I haven't read this author's other books. And I know she, I just realized that she's coming out with a new book this year. She also wrote Good Rich People, I think, which is kind of a um, rich people behaving badly story. And I did not read that because I disliked this so much. This wasn't necessarily the writing itself or even the pacing. It's just what happens in the end is so weird and bananas that I read it three times, the ending, trying to figure out did what happened just really happen? But the podcast elements are neat. 
And again, I do think it's an innovative use of podcasting as a framing narrative. So if that sounds interesting to you and you are in for a wild ride, maybe this would be for you. It was not for me. And, and that under- is if I that is if I disappear by Eliza Jane Brazier. If I disappear. Okay, got it. I'm tempted to read it just on the basis that uh, I want to see if I hate the ending. <laughs> All right. The- I guess it's. I will say it's not one of those where you get to the end and you feel like it was a waste of time because there are enjoyable pieces of it. You know what I mean? It's not so much that, but it definitely was for other people. Other people were like, this was dumb and I feel like I wasted my time. I didn't feel like I wasted my time. The cover is beautiful. The cover is very cool. Yeah. All right. The last two that I'm going to share, like specifically, I do have comments to make on uh, some of Devin's other ones, but I'm going to share my last two together because I don't have a whole lot to say about both of them. But uh, one that I did want to mention is the book of cold cases by Simone St. James. If any of you all watched videos when I did booktube, I talked a lot about Simone St. James. I really love how she mixes, like mashes up thrillers and horror together. The book of cold cases uh, was one of my favorite books the year that I read it, uh, 2021 maybe. And I just really loved it. And so I really wanted to mention it on the show. Our main character, Shay, in this book is a true crime blogger. And that kind of gets her into the predicament that she gets into trying to solve a cold case murder. Um, and her best friend, Michael, it helps her out with the the true crime blog and their relationships together and journey they go on through the story is also really cool. Um, the reason I'm not going to spend a lot of time talking about it is because the true crime blogger part doesn't have a whole lot of influence in the story. It just kind of makes up Shay as a character. And I, I really loved that about her and I love this book. So any opportunity to talk about it, um, I'm going to try to get to, to do that. And then the final book I want to tell you about is Sadie by Courtney Summers. This was actually the first book I ever listened to that had a podcast in it. And the audio portrayed that through sound, similar to what I described in the first two books. There is like, you can hear the the mics cutting on and off. You can hear like intro noises. You can hear wind and other things that are might be interfering with sound. The interesting thing is I actually have not finished this. I'm about halfway through and haven't picked it up for two years. It's not because I didn't enjoy it. Uh, just other things came up in my life and my hold was due back at the library. I do plan to finish it one day. I haven't decided. I mean, I have decided to bring it to the show because it's pretty popular and also has a lot of mixed reviews. I don't know about you all, but I love reading books with mixed ratings. Sadie is the story of a teenage girl whose sister went missing and a podcaster who talks about small forgotten towns in America. The podcast covers the missing girl and her sister because they want to help solve the investigation. Meanwhile, Sadie is doing everything she can to find her sister after the police stop looking. Here's the tagline from Goodreads, a missing girl on a journey of revenge, a serial-like podcast following the clues she's left behind, and an ending you won't be able to stop talking about. Well, I wouldn't know because I haven't made it to that ending yet. Even just writing this, I want to dive back in. I will put a hold in at the library and get back to you all. I think I will be able to pick up where I left off. It's a pretty straightforward story. Now I'm itching to finish it, and all it took was talking about the book. Uh, Again, that was Sadie by Courtney Summers. It does have pretty mixed reviews. I am very interested to get to the ending. I, I, I just had to take the hold back to the library. And so I never really got through it, but I do recommend the audio. It was on a lot of lists when looking up mixed media and podcast focused books. So 
I think that recommendation is a good one. The Children on the Hill by Jennifer McMahon actually mixes quite a bit of media, including book excerpts and texts and transcripts from doctors' files and notes. One of the main characters, Lizzie, is a podcaster, and we hear her talk about podcasting, and she mentions that there are cases that she has covered, but we don't get any of the actual podcast itself. But the character and her history and her position as a podcaster is central to the story. But I wouldn't say that this is a book with a podcast in it, but I did want to mention it because I did enjoy it when I read it. And here you can see it a little bit more as a plot device with other media that really end up taking a lot of the focus. It seems to me that the podcaster character as a podcaster is taking the place of where journalists used to. Like it's giving a reason for amateurs or people who aren't detectives to get involved in cold cases or to get involved in some kind of crime investigation. That's true of the next book that Zach and I have both read, which is The Night Swim by Megan Golden. I do want to stop here and say that there are some significant content and trigger warnings. I had to set this down a few times. If you are sensitive to content that includes violence against women in particular and sexual assault, you might want to skip a little bit ahead to the next part of our discussion. So just to disclose some of the topics in this book, I can be particularly sensitive to as a survivor myself of assault, but I think that the author Megan Golden handles these topics really thoughtfully and honestly, but I want you to know that some of the descriptions of this assault are detailed because this book centers around a trial the explanation of things like rape kits are detailed as well. And I think you need to be aware of that no matter your sensitivity. Because this centers again around a trial, I think this was especially tough because there's so much victim blaming and shaming, which is contested. Obviously, there's a commentary that runs through this book. But it does show how survivors are treated by the police, by lawyers, by the public. And because there are two timelines and narrative threads of violence against women in both of those threads, I do think there's significant emotional trauma that's talked about and showcased. And I think that that really lends itself to the kind of commentary I don't know, like openness about how some of the these women are treated, but that's also not easy to read. So I would not want anyone to ever be triggered by this story. I do think it's an important story to tell and it's important to showcase the kinds of experiences that victims of violence, all kinds of violence and their families go through. So even though it's difficult to read, I do think it's important. And even though this is a fictionalized account, there is truth in it. So I wanted to say that before I talk about the plot or talk about it as a fictional account, because there's a lot here really under the surface. This was published in 2020 by St. Martin's and The Night Swim uses the podcast very much as a framing narrative. 
there's another Rachel in this. Rachel Crawl is the host of Guilty Not Guilty. And she's kind of overwhelmed by the success of her podcast as that helped an innocent man get released from prison. So she's under some pressure for the next season, which we understand to be season three, to be successful. And so she's heading to a small coastal town, Neapolis, for a rape trial that is dividing the town. And she's going to report on it on the podcast. Notes are being left on her car that are ask her to look into a cold case. And this is unnerving for her, obviously, because she isn't used to being recognized out in public and she wonders how someone knows where to leave these notes. The cold case death was officially listed as a drowning, but the victim's sister believes there's more to the story and is begging Rachel to investigate. And once she starts asking questions, no one wants to talk about it. No one wants to talk about what happened 25 years ago to Jenny Stills. The more Rachel discovers, the more tangled the past and the present become. And this unraveling that she ends up doing of, of what happened back then is connected, get starts to get connected, and it's going to change everything in the whole town. It's really, um, it's really these tightly held secrets. So we have multiple timelines, but the podcast is covering the trial. So the podcast excerpts, at least at first, focus on the trial. They frame each chapter and are in italics to differentiate from the rest of the text. I read this as an ebook, so I don't know. Zach, you listen to this? Yeah, and it's incredible. Like just like the other books that I've talked about that have similar um, ways about, you know, per, like showing that it is a podcast through audio. In particular, in this one, the outro that they do every podcast episode is really cool. It definitely fits well within the narratives. I, I would recommend it on audio if you can get a copy of it over. I don't know. I mean, I think I would have enjoyed the book regardless, but I am a big fan of the immersion like I've talked about in the about the other books. And I think it really added to it with this book as well. I think I would have enjoyed it had I read it physically, but it wouldn't have compared to listening to it on audio. So I definitely recommend it on audio. And I agree with everything that you've said about the book so far. Yeah, I did think that the focus on, you know, thinking about the audience, the the outro part that, you know, is that the guilty or not, like the you decide kind of thing? Yes. Yeah, well, since, yeah, okay. Yeah, and, it, and the you decide is just, it's, it's like, it, the, I can't remember exactly what they say, but it's like, where we talk about whether people are guilty or not and you decide it. I don't know. It's, it's just really cool. And considering in the book in particular, that there, there's so much that's really focused on who is, you know, who could be telling the truth and the divisions in the town are really focused on who, who they think is telling the truth in this particular uh, rape trial. And so that you decide who's guilty, not guilty, uh, really reflects that, I think, in an interesting way. I think that I gave this book five stars when I read it. And I thought it was really great. And I, I like her writing a lot. I also liked the second book I read from her. And, and what's really, really, really exciting is that there is another book that's in this series, in this podcast series with Rachel Crawl called Dark Corners that comes out later, I think in the summer. 
So I'm very intrigued to see what case that will be and how that all will unfold. But again, I just, I do recommend this book, but I really did want to let you know that there are some definitely difficult topics that are not shied away from in any way. And that I thought were certainly part of the point of how Golden is, is handling these, these cases and threading them together in the book. I am looking to see if that was, if those were all, were those all the books we wanted to talk about? Oh, in with the podcast, did we want to say anything else about podcasts before we move on to talking about books and books? No, I just, I just really love it as an element. Even before we had a podcast together, it was one of my favorite things. And I hope we get more. And like you said at the beginning, hopefully we'll move a little bit out of the true crime elements and more into like other subsets but yeah I enjoyed talking about this I really and and the audio immersion is just no other for me I really really love that I do I do think it would be interesting to see podcasts in other spaces I know that sometimes sci-fi will use like news reports or audio radio I think it'd be interesting to see and there probably is something where podcasts are used in that. I think that that could be a really cool framing device to show some world building and and talk about things, concepts and abstract ideas. Uh, I can see a lot of applications for them. I also wanted to talk a little very quickly about, well, it might not be quickly, who knows, but I did want to talk about metafiction which is fiction that emphasizes its own narrative structure. It calls attention to itself in a way that reminds the audience that they are reading or viewing a fictional work. This often happens as books in books that really call attention to the narrative structure. So If on a Winter's Night, A Traveler by Italo Calvino is probably one of the most well-known metafiction that uses a book within a book. And here Calvino is commenting on authorship and publishing and being a reader. It's a really interesting maze of a story where two people have purchased the same book, but each of their copies are different. And so they meet and get together to try to figure out what the real story is. And you're reading the book that the characters are reading but you're also reading about these characters reading the book. It's an interesting winding puzzle. And I would say this would be a really interesting book club book. You need to talk about it with other people. If you're interested in this and want to pick it up, try to buddy read it or suggest it for your book club. It was a book club pick for my local bookstore last year. And I really enjoyed talking about it with people. I've taught it in classes before where we looked at different kinds of postmodern narratives. So it's an interesting one. Similarly, I just finished Crossings by Alex Landrigan. And this has one of the coolest structures. I love a postmodern twist on narrative. This book though is like a puzzle. And what's really neat about it is that you can read it in one of two ways. So you can read it first page to last page, the typical way that we would read a book, or you can read it by following a specific chapter sequence that is reading this book called Crossings that a Parisian bookbinder has been asked to bind for a frequent and respected client. The bookbinder discovers after taking possession of the book that the client who wanted him to bind it has been murdered and he thinks that the crime might be connected to the book. 
And even though the client told him not to read the book, he ends up reading the book and he ends up discovering a story with three unlikely narratives, a ghost story allegedly written by Charles Baudelaire, a noir romance by Walter Benjamin, and a memoir of a woman claiming to inhabit many bodies throughout many lifetimes as she searches for lost love. I read The Alternative Path, but I suppose maybe I should go back and read it straight through, maybe a reread. I really loved this unique take on storytelling and narrativity. It's just my kind of thing. It was very puzzly and kind of like choose your own adventure. It has a specific sequence that you go to read. And I'm curious what it's like to to read straight through. And then I thought about uh, Magpie Murders as a more recent example that also has a book with missing chapters like If on a Winter's Night Traveler. But this one is a bit of a different genre and a different agenda. There's a lot of commentary, though, still about being a writer and about publishing and about editors and fans and readers. The first part of the novel that you end up reading, you're reading a book, Magpie Murders by Alan Conway. Well, it turns out you're reading part of a book because the last chapter is missing, which you discover along with the editor of the book, Susan Ryland. So you and Susan are kind of reading Magpie Murders simultaneously. You get a lot of the details of the story, but not the whodunit portion. So you don't get the reveal of Conway's book. And then when Conway dies unexpectedly, no one can find the pages. That's the setup of Magpie Murders. As the editor, Ryland is determined to track down what happened to and in the ending of Magpie. There's a lot of layers of mystery here that I really loved. I thought having the book in the book was genius. I really liked reading that book and then reading the rest of the book. I like how you got two mysteries in one and how the missing pages end up being clues in the death of Conway as an author I'm just wildly impressed that Horowitz is able to pull this off because it's hugely ambitious. I know that there's some mixed reviews about how well the book does this, how well Horowitz does this. And there are people who who didn't love this. I listened and also read it kind of in a combo. How did you read this, Zach? I actually did the same thing. So this is a big book. It's like almost 600 pages, I think. It's big. So I did Kindle, physical, and audio, just depending on where I was in my day trying to get through it. I will have to politely disagree with any bad reviews. Although actually, that being said, I did read this in a group with one of my friends, Kelsey, and she really disliked the writing in the book and pointed out a lot of flawed things that I had missed that her experience kind of brought to light. So I did find that interesting. Her complaint wasn't really about the story and how it flows, more about there were some problematic things within the writing that I definitely missed. Outside of that, I did think the mystery within a mystery was just like so impressive. And he really pulled it off. And I just, I really, really love this book. Also, it's no surprise I've talked about it on the podcast before. I love Anthony Horowitz. He's one of my favorite mystery writers. So I don't know. I just all in all really, really loved it. And I did uh, do audio physical and Kindle to get through it because it's a very big book. I kind of remember a little bit of the discussion in the discord about this. People were reading it and I do wonder if there is a difference between if you read it as a British reader or an American reader because there might be things that I miss not having some of that history 
I don't yeah. know. Or I am going to read the second book because the way the first book ends is very interesting. So I am looking forward to reading the second book. Yeah. Uh, and the last one that I want to talk about that has metafictiony, which really calls attention to itself, is Jasper Fjord's The Air Affair. This was a really popular book a while back, I guess. It's been a long time now. Uh, but this was an alternative history kind of book where it's possible to enter the world of, of a work of literature through the use of some machine. And in the novel, we have a literary detective known as Thursday Next, and she's chasing this criminal through the world of Charlotte Bronte's Jane Eyre. I read a few of these when they were popular, but I found them really fun, even though I never actually have finished the book Jane Eyre, but don't tell anyone. I still found these really fun and easy to follow and just a cool thing to see different characters from works of literature, but you have to be careful. There's a lot of rules as you move in and out through literature because you can't do things that change endings or that change narrative structures. And I think that that's what has happened. I think the criminal has like stolen pages of a book or something. I can't really remember why she's chasing him. Again, this was more than a decade ago that I read some of these. But that's that could be interesting if you haven't read those and you're interested in different kinds of narratives or postmodern narratives that call attention to themselves. Any last thoughts about books and books or podcasts, these sorts of different kinds of mixed up media as we called them? I just really love this element. I'm a really big fan of fan art. I don't think I say that enough. And if you're wondering how this relates, it's just, I love when there's something inside of a book, rather that's like a newspaper clipping or an article or just something that is in addition to writing. I really, really love those elements. I hope to explore more of these books and learn some more. What about you? I think that it's an interesting device and I think that it gives authors some something really fun and different to kind of play with, finding a way to talk about authorship and fandom and readers. I don't know. I think that there's, or listeners when it comes to podcasts, I think there's a lot of ways to create kind of cultural commentary using these different elements. I really like other traditional kinds of mixed media too, where there's maps and deconstructed pieces of narratives where you're sort of fitting stuff together and especially love books within books. I don't know. I just find those really fascinating and interesting. So I think that they can be, I think it's a really cool framing device. And I think that it makes a lot of sense given where we are in the world and our emphasis on different kinds of media that they should find their way into the books that we read. Yeah, agreed. Just as a reminder, now we're going to go into books that we are looking forward to. I like to tell everybody every week that Devin and I will be following up on these books. These aren't just things that are in our minds that we're looking forward to. We do have plans to actually read and get back to you all on these books. Now, how long that will take? Now, that's not up for debate. But the first book I want to tell you guys about is it's by Brandon Sanderson. It's his Secret Project series. I have read and really enjoyed his YA sci-fi series, Skyward. I have read the first two books in that series. This book, Tress of the Emerald Sea, is part of the Cosmere, which if you aren't familiar with, is his way of saying basically almost all of the worlds he has created exist in their own universe. 
I don't believe the Skyward series is part of the Cosmere, but I do hope to read Mistborn, Way of Kings, etc. at some point in my life. Anyway, I've pre-ordered this because the tagline for it is for fans of The Princess Bride, which up until this last winter, I had never seen the movie before. Actually, not this last winter, it was this last summer. I, I got that wrong. It was this last summer I, I watched it for the first time and am obsessed with it. It's right up everything I would love. Yeah, and, and it's pretty shocking, given that that's everything I love in stories. Anyways, I absolutely adored this movie, and now I just really need to read this book. It appears you can read and enjoy it without knowing anything about the Cosmere, which I'm sure I will make connections on later when I get around to reading the others. That was Trust of the Emerald Sea. It releases in hardcover on April 4th. I do believe it's already out on Kindle, which is a little concerning to me that nobody's been talking about it. I'm curious about that, but it is out in hardcover on April 4th, and I will get back to you guys about that. I want to talk about and am really looking forward to Love and Other Flight Delays uh, by Denise Williams, which publishes by Berkeley on March 14th. I really love Denise Williams' books. I've read How to Fail at Flirting and Fastest Way to Fall. She wrote a series of novellas, and you can still get the novellas individually. This is a collection of those three novellas, and they all take place at airports. In one of the stories, you get fake dating, and there's also a grumpy sunshine story and a friends to lovers story, and they sound really, really cute. One of the stories is about a pet groomer, and I guess there's this pet grooming at the airport. I love jobs around animals in my romance stories, so I think that this sounds really fun. I enjoy William's writing, and sometimes you just need a short story to get you through a tough day. I have not read any of the novellas individually, and I'm glad that they're coming out in this collection. That's Love and Other Flight Delays by Denise Williams, and it comes out March 14th. Next book I'm looking forward to, I'm putting on here because I have actively been wanting to read this book since it came out and I just have not gotten around to it. I also thought it would be appropriate for this episode. That is Thank You for Listening by Julia Whelan. Per the usual, I don't know much about this novel, but I do know it's about two audiobook narrators, I believe. I don't own a physical copy, but I'll buy one if I really love this. I will be listening to this one on audio because I'm curious if it adds anything to the story by listening to it on audio, sort of like what we talked about today. Here's the tagline for it I found on Goodreads tells the story of a former actress turned successful audiobook narrator who has lost sight of her dreams after a tragic accident and her journey of self-discovery, love, and acceptance when she agrees to narrate one last romance novel. This is already out because it's going on this list and I have some accountability for circling back to it. I will let you all know what I think of it on our looking forward to wrap up slash review situation moment, whatever that turns into. I have a physical copy of this. I haven't read it, but I have a physical copy of it. I thought you'd read it for some reason. No, I haven't read it. I just have the copy of it. I do want to read it and it does sound really good. And I have heard that audio, it's good on audio. I want to talk about another repeat author whose newest book I'm really looking forward to. And that is The Mostly True Story of Tanner and Louise by Colleen Oakley. And this is also published by Berkeley and comes out March 28th. I read Oakley's first book, The Invisible Husband of Frick Island, last year for book club. And I really liked it a lot, so much more than I thought I would. And I highly recommend it. It's been out for a while, so you should easily be able to get a copy at your library. And it's a it's a story about grief and 
a small town, a small area rallying around people, found family, lots of really, really good things. I thought it was a, a fun read. Oakley writes what I would call really quirky stories. And this one, the mostly true story of Tanner and Louise, is about 21-year-old Tanner Quimby, who is adrift in life, and she needs a place to live. And 84-year-old Louise Witt slipped and fell on a rug, which causes her daughter to feel like she needs live-in help. Neither Tanner nor Louise are really happy with these new living arrangements, but, but they mostly are able to ignore one another. Only Tanner starts noticing some weird things like this shed that remains locked and the local news report suddenly about one of the biggest jewel heists in American history and a suspect that maybe resembles Louise. And then Louise enters Tanner's room at one in the morning with packed bags saying they have to leave town ASAP. I don't know about you, but this sounds like a great spring read and I can't wait to see how this adventure turns out. Man, March is full of new releases that I'm going to be waiting in line to read, but I am looking forward to a lot of them. And this one is The Mostly True Story of Tanner and Louise by Colleen Oakley out March 28th. No commentary on that? Mm, Nope, I don't have a clue what you're talking about. (laughs) I know nothing of these literary things. It's not. Does that sound literary to you? Yeah. I don't know. It doesn't sound like my kind of book, but I hope you love it. I think it sounds like women's fiction. Like All the same to me in my brain. I mean, the first, the Frick Island was, was really kind of a romance in a way. So I didn't think it sounded literary, but y'all, y'all tell me that's funny. Thank you all. Thanks for listening and for sharing our podcast with other bookish folks. It helps grow our audience and reach more readers As usual, you can find all the ways to follow us individually and as a show in our show notes, along with the books that we've mentioned in today's episode. Uh, This information is also on our website, don'treadthesynopsis.com, all smushed together. And uh, we love chatting with y'all in any capacity. So keep leaving comments on Instagram. You can think about joining the bookish community through the Discord that Zach hosts. And we'll be back in your ears very soon. Next week, we look back on some past Goodreads Choice Awards in romance. So this should be a fun conversation. And we're looking forward to you joining us. Until then, what you read is up to you. But take our advice. Don't read the synopsis. Well, that was a fun episode.